here for my strength. This thing weighs like 500 pounds, I swear. If you saw me I'm grunting and sweating all of a sudden, it's because it's really heavy. I'm not weak, I swear. I, I am really weak. I'm Pastor Scott. And for those of you who are new, welcome to Element 3 Church. We are so excited you're here. If you're here from last week, which was the best day ever, amen. That was an awesome baptism service and so thrilled and so thankful for so many for coming. And if you're online with us this morning because you were excited about a certain sporting event yesterday and you just couldn't quite roll out of bed, you even got an extra hour of sleep. Man, you, there's no excuse now. We are grateful and welcome for you worshiping online and just say hi in the chat to me personally and reach out just like you would in person with any needs you may have. We have been going through The Outsiders, and The Outsiders has been a great sermon series because it really comes and tries to redefine that it's not me on the inside of some secret club where I get eternal life and everybody outside doesn't. It's saying that all of us are outsiders, and we're all trying day by day to become more like Jesus Christ. To put it succinctly, this is a whole sermon series on a gospel in Mark on how to be a disciple, how to find salvation. And none of us, not myself, not the most tenured member here at E3, has gotten there yet. We're all step by step, day by day. And this week's sermon will take a very different perspective into that process of becoming more like a disciple. So at this point, I'm going to transition it into the message of a long pastoral personal story that magically relates back to the sermon in a long about about way, and you just get to know me a little bit smidgen better. Also known as, this is the time to kind of zone out and think about lunch. See, friends, I used to live in Lincoln, Nebraska, for those who are newer who don't know that yet. And in Lincoln, I've had a variety of different roles, most in the pastoral world, and we transitioned from being a youth slash worship slash associate pastor slash do all other duties as assigned, which is what ministry is, all other duties as assigned, and we went into helping plant a church in downtown inner city Lincoln, Nebraska, which is a rough place. It's, it's not like a you know, perfect utopia there in Lincoln, trust me. It was very rough, and we took no salary in doing that, and through that process, I started working at an insurance company, and it was fine, but it helped me understand a lot better the corporate world. Now, on the way on my commute every single day to my work work, my Monday through Friday, I saw this orange Vespa. There it is. And I thought, how cool would it be with only two kids who could ride on the back to drive that versus my little tiny HHR, Chevy HHR, which made me feel kind of like a parent. Like, I thought I would be cool if I drove that. Now, whether you not think Vespas are cool, they are, by the way, and they are manly. I thought, how cool would it be to get that? And as we started going to this new church in the downtown, the worship leader and I got to talking, and I said, hey, where do you live? And he said, the corner of 17th and A. I said, oh, there's an orange Vespa there that I see has never been driven, as far as I can tell. I would love to buy that from your neighbor. And he said, no, it's mine. I go, oh, well, can I buy it from you? He goes, no, you can have it. And it was that day where I walked over to his house and found out that it had never been ridden in two years, needed new tires and a new transmission, but I had an orange Vespa for free. Who likes free stuff? Yes, yes. Free stuff is awesome, especially when it's a vehicle. And so I drove this every single day to work, even in a hailstorm one time. Don't do that. I drove this every single day to work, and I saved so much money because you know how many fingers I had to hold up to fill up the tank that lasted me for a week? This much money for an entire week of gas. 
holy cow, that just opened up all sorts of new things we could do with that funds in our life. And I was like, this is a blessing from God. Except today, we're gonna delve into what blessings are and what finances are and what stuff is. And Jesus is gonna be pretty direct, pretty blunt with us. And so I want you to keep this in the back of your mind because we all have stories like that where things just line up just right, where you get exactly what you think you need, and yet it's not the stuff that changes you, it's people. It's the salvation gospel message of Jesus Christ. See, friends, one of the ways in which the church has failed the body of Christ in marked ways is in when it deals with money. So at this point, we're gonna have our wise council board blockade the doors. We're gonna do three passing of the plates why are you laughing? Because if you give enough, then all the problems in your life, they'll be gone. And by the way, if you give enough, you'll get 10 times back what you give in the plates. Ooh. Am I hitting a nerve? You know, I've been to churches like that. I'm not preached. I'm not that pastor, by the way, the prosperity gospel pastor. I'm not the pastor who, who will literally lock the doors until they get enough to meet the budget for that year. But talking about money makes us a little uncomfortable. And so if you wander out now, I won't judge you one iota. Please don't wander out. Please don't log off. See, we need to have our perspectives changed about this idea of stuff and about money. Amen? Here's an interesting connection. Jesus' disciples and all of his listeners struggled just as much as we struggle with this message today as well. The wealth disparity in Jesus' time was actually wider than it is today. There was almost zero middle class. There was not a 1% who had all the wealth. It was a point something percent who had literally all the wealth. And the only way that anything in the Roman culture got done is if a benefactor would come and say, yeah, I don't like traveling on this road that I have to travel on, so I'm gonna make it a six-lane highway because I have all the wealth. And I'll hire all the people who are commoners, who are the poor, to build this for me. And then once that project's over and it makes my life better, done. The poor was about 95% of society. And the poor isn't like the poor today. The poor then was poor, poor. Like not just weekly bread, where am I getting my, my meals from? It was literally their daily bread. These disciples, many of which were fishermen, probably struggled with this as well. If you've ever fished before, it's not guaranteed that you actually make your catch for the day. And if you have successive days where you're not making your catch, there was no social security. There was no unemployment. There was no safeguards in their day and age. And so if you didn't make your catch and you didn't have income, you either had very few options. Begging, reaching out to family, hopefully you had some, or you could actually volunteer to become someone's slave. That's why slavery in scripture is very different than slavery in American terms. Slavery in scripture is a totally different animal. Both wrong. Because of this disparity, preference was given even more so in Jesus' day than our own. The context of Jesus' discussion with the man of great wealth that Dan just read was so significant because it links the passage just before and just after it so well. See, what's going to come is Jesus is going to tell his disciples the third time, my path is a path of the cross. But just before... Just before, he blesses the children because they're childlike faith. Children look at money and things so much better than we do. In fact, it's, it's, it's amazing. You give a child a toy, and they're so joyous and so happy to play with that toy. And about 15 seconds later, they're either done with it 
and giving it to their neighbor, their friend, their sibling, or, or, they're, or they're figuring out a new way to play with it. Most of the Barbies in my household have magic permanent marker drawn on them <laughs> with tattoos and all sorts of fun stuff. We wouldn't do that with our stuff, obviously, but more on that moment. See, through all that he does the right things, falling to his knees and professing a faith, we see the lack of action where the children come in and are in direct proximity to Jesus as the most important thing in the passage just prior to this. But Jesus' challenge after blessing the children comes and hits a square between the eyes. So if you're in your Bible, your Bible apps are online. Mark 10, 23 through 31, let's go through these passages uh, together here. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So the first question we have to ask is what qualifies as rich? Is it a number? Is it belongings? Is it possessions, wisdom, ideas? The 21st century church has followed suit from the 20th century in that the list I just gave may consider it to be blessed. A church with a full bank account, a church with things to brag about in terms of numbers or in terms of facilities or in terms of whatever it is, consider themselves and use the term blessed to discuss who they are in relationship to God. The theological implications of this are damning. And I believe that's just much how of Jesus' disciples must have felt. To continue, verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words, but as Jesus again said, children, how hard it is for them to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, I've only taken a camel through an eye of a needle three times. <laughs> right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And sometimes Jesus' parables are like, okay, I can see that would happen. You know, the, the, the weeds and the wheat. They have this wheat, and then this enemy comes, and he plants the weeds, and the weeds come up, and they can't determine which ones are which. So they wait till harvest, and it's like really profound. This one is just absurdity for absurdity's sake. But the point is clear. If you are rich, and however you measure it, it's like taking a camel through an eye of a needle. There are some interpreters that have tried to tone this down, saying that there must have been some sort of needle gate in Jerusalem, and the camels would go through this needle gate, and that's just all guess. I tend to think that Jesus is just saying, nope, directly right between the eyes. Let's talk about stuff. Let's talk about wealth. Let's talk about money. Jesus, as, excuse me, just as you are, never could thread a camel through an eye of a needle. One who is rich can never enter the kingdom. The disciples' response also illustrates how ridiculous this sounds. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus continues, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. I love Peter. Always chiming in that guy. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. In Matthew's gospel, he, re he changes this just ever so subtly, which Matthew could. He was an eyewitness. Peter is the one giving Mark, we believe, this, this detailed report. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew says, we have left everything to follow you. And Matthew says, what will then be for us? It's, it's, a, it's a give and take, right? A quid pro quo or whatever that's called. That if I give you 
in the offering, $1,000, then Pastor Scott, I better get 10,000 back through just because I'm so generous. Or if I give 10,000, then I better get $100,000 back, right, church? Yeah, uncomfortable, groan, good, good, good. Please don't say yes, no amens to that. We see that this what will there be for us, the disciples are still in the give and take mentality. The stuff is my stuff, it's my things. But we see Jesus' response is so beautiful and profound, and we just kind of gloss over it because we live in the day and age we do. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are last will be first and the last Excuse me, first will be last, give me, and the last first. Two common phrases I wanna highlight here. First one is, truly I tell you. Mark uses this and Jesus uses this as a point to really hone in on, to really focus upon, because what he's going to say is going to be very profound. But the second phrase that he uses over and over and over in Mark's gospel is the one I just butchered trying to read from my paper. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This phrase is so profound and it seems kind of like a riddle. Some from you know, the 1960s Batman show where the Riddler's you know, chasing them and says something weird and then Batman figures it out and captures them, right? And those of you who don't know who that is, you're worse for it. It is out of the second phrase, we have to understand what Jesus is actually saying. That they cannot conceive of discipleship and following Jesus in terms of earthly rewards. Jesus says they'll get fooled back. He says that in the text here. Discipleship entails also, though, suffering and service. It must not be entered on terms of love. It must be entered, excuse me, in terms of love and commitment to Jesus, not because of one, one hopes to get either out of it in this life or the life to come. In his gospel, Matthew inserts the parable of the laborers in the vineyard to illustrate this point. See, friends, the issue is that most of us today cannot divorce our value from our belongings and money. In the gut of this sermon, I hope to reorient this for your soul's sake. But friends, E3 Church, whether you've been here for a long time or are brand new, kind of like me, is a tremendously generous church beyond any other church I've been a part of. I wanna reiterate that. Element 3 Church is a church that is so tremendously generous in terms beyond any other church I've ever been a part of. Whether it's Serve Tallahassee, whether it's gifts that are being given for the nursery to reopen hopefully very soon, whether it's office equipment, whether it's refrigerators being donated to house turkeys that have been provided for, we are a generous church. We take love offerings and give it to people who are in desperate need. It is a beautiful church that is full of generous people. And many of you are those people. Even just yesterday, we had a team doing a ramp build that served, uh, help me with the name of it, Ability First. I almost said serve Tallahassee. Thank you, thank you. Here's a picture of those doing that. But this isn't a sermon about giving. It's about reorienting my own mindset in terms of my own things. Because if we can take seriously the phrase, the first will be last and the last will be first, it's not some sort of crazy riddle. It really is easy to apply. See, it's not about giving. In fact, 
and I'll say this here, and I'll reorient it, reiterate it over and over and over. Jesus never commands us to tithe, and the Bible uses the term sporadically, but pastors seem to use it as some sort of benchmark for value in the community of believers. I don't care if you give 10%, 1%, or 100%. Give because you're oriented around your stuff in a healthy and God-centered way. In fact, many of us could give above 10% and not feel any, okay, no big deal. It comes from an orientation of how you view your things, which is why when I started the sermon, I admit the church misses on finances more than it hits. Therefore, two takeaways we need to reorient our minds and our whole bodies and selves around our finances and our stuff. The first one is this, orient around the kingdom of God, not money or stuff. Jesus doesn't say that wealth is sinful by itself. It is orienting one's life and the ability, inability to give away one's wealth that is sinful. Jesus is not saying that all poor people and none of the wealthy ever enter the kingdom. That would exclude Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, who buys Jesus' burial tomb. These are all wealthy people who I believe are sitting in heaven right now. Most Jews expected, including Jesus' disciples, we believe, that the rich would inherit eternal life, not because they could buy their way in, but they would inherit eternal life because somehow God had blessed them in this life, so obviously they're doing the right thing because they got more stuff, because they're doing something good. That's such an errant, crazy theology. But it bleeds over into the contemporary church. See, friends, Jesus' view is a different and much more sober one. Jesus is starting to orient in things that do not perish versus things that do perish. Calvin stated it this way, if honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of man. If money is rated the highest good, then greed will take over the kingdom. And lastly, if it's only pleasure, then men will certainly denigrate themselves in their sheer self-indulgence. If, 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 we reorient our lives around Jesus and not our things or money, Giving is not a hard thing. It's just a natural thing to do. If we orient our lives around counting our pennies each night and spending every waking moment concerned about those pennies, giving we call a sacrifice. See, friends, giving should never be a sacrifice. It should be a reflex. Giving should flow naturally out of a life reoriented around Christ and be done with joy and abandon to give 20, 30, 40% of what they have is a common theme around these parts in this church, to my knowledge, and we should celebrate those who give and but also treat the millionaire the exact same as a pauper. I do not want to know what anyone gives to give any sort of preferential treatment. No, 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 no. But what if someone gave all they had because Christ called them in that moment to do so with no guarantee of repayment or some sort of reward? We need to celebrate all giving and say, thank you, Jesus, for my daily bread. Help me have my brothers and sisters in this world who are in this building and outside feel the same way. Earlier in the passage, we see this mentality play out. In verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him, the, the man who asked how to inherit eternal life. He says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. I love that phraseology that Mark uses. He had oriented all his life around his possessions, around his stuff. 
the way in which the Greek reads, he's probably an extremely wealthy person. I mean, a millionaire, millionaire, millionaire today. And you see that he went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't even fathom giving it all away because his whole life was oriented around it. This relates to the next point. Number two, wealth and stuff, we'll call it Vespas, is a responsibility, not a blessing. I told you this would come back. See, I thought when I was given this orange Vespa that it was gonna be a blessing to me, and then I thought that all the stuff that it allowed me to be and do in terms of my own finances was to give it back to God. And so I treated that Vespa with respect and with carefulness. I didn't, you know, go crazy, like saying, yeah, I love Jesus, and running into walls. No, I took care of it because with this many dollars for gas, when I was using, you know, this many dollars for gas, this is 50, right, or this is five? Oh, there we go. Okay, 50. That's $48 every week, give or take, that I could then go towards the ministry we're trying to make that I could give to people who had needs to selflessly give. And just as I was given the Vespa that was slightly broken down, I gave back to that person who gave it to me as much as able and saying, thank you for the generosity. Many would say money and resources are my belongings, and some of us would call it blessings. Blessings are words that are spoken over and give literally a spiritual boost, not a financial Money and resources, friends, are responsibilities. So many of Jesus' parables guide this thought. We are not blessed by the lottery. We are not blessed by our house or shelter. We are not blessed by our Roomba, a new dishwasher, a new car, a used car, a bicycle, a unicycle, or a pogo stick. No, friends, we are blessed by things like children. Because if we say these things are blessings, then those who do not have them are what? Cursed. Yeah, they're cursed. And I would never look to somebody who could not have anything because of situations, because of all sorts of inequities to say they're cursed. No, instead it's an opportunity for me to give a spiritual blessing, but then also monetarily and stuff. You can see that having this stuff can allow you to have opportunities to be a literal blessing, to speak into others' lives, to speak into their testimonies in profound and amazing ways, absolutely. But don't orient your stuff and don't treat your stuff just like it's mine. Use it as a responsibility to build the kingdom of God. Because here's the kicker. There are indeed circumstances of all types where it is inequitable to find wealth because of gender, race, ability, and a whole host of circumstances. We know this. The rules are not always fair. Similarly, no billionaire and no politician will ever eliminate all poverty and need. As Christians, we have an opportunity to use what God has given us to multiply his kingdom by orienting our things and treating our things with goodness and with carefulness and responsibility, put all things towards him. We can be the outsiders to the world by the way we orient our lives around money and stuff and even Vespas. When we act like insiders because we know some sort of secret to the sauce, secret to the kingdom, we'll end up hoarding and holding back this free gift of salvation for us all. I wanna end before our worship team is up with this Picture 
that an old theologian named Augustine gave many, many, many years ago. And Augustine, as a person who was a great sinner, he sinned as well as anybody. He said that all of us are made and we have this God-sized hole in our heart. And in this God-sized hole, we, we put God in it and we say, well, that fits, but there must be more to life than that. And so we try to put in things like stuff, like money, like belongings, like a person, like all the things that we seem to just try and slam it in there. And it reminded me so well of having four children. There's that little game that kids play, and it's a triangle block, and there's a square hole. And if you put the triangle in the, the square hole, it won't work. But if you put the triangle in the triangle hole, then it, like, you know, it's, it's, it's gratifying, right? When I was a kid, there's no sound. Now they have like sounds and lights and like, you know, flags pop up and confetti pops up, okay? And I looked at my four kids and I said, all of them struggled with that shape recognition. They said, here, triangle, square, triangle, square. Until Lillian came along. She's my youngest and she's the strongest. She's so dang strong. And I watched her take this triangle block and she had the square hole. And as a two-year-old, she's going like this, like this. And she's going like this and the whole dang thing just explodes. Okay. What a great illustration for us. That our God whole, we just slam stuff into it. I, I feel incomplete. I better make more money. How, I mean, just how insane is that? And yet all of us do it. You can blame society, you can blame parents, you can blame all sorts of things, but the whole thing comes down to you. We have to orient our lives around Jesus and treat our things as responsibilities for the kingdom of God. When we do that, we will see blessings flow. Jesus gave us the ultimate blessing by giving us the sacrament of communion, which we're going to celebrate in a moment here. In a moment, I'll invite you up to come through and find a table near and close to you. We have four stations available. And to take both the body and blood of Jesus as a sacrifice that he gave for us, a payment for all our sins, and an example of how to take care of your own life. So I invite you to come up, to come and seat and wait to eat as we eat them all together. Our communion table is open to all. It doesn't matter if you're an owner. It doesn't matter if you're a member or believe in Jesus Christ. It matters that you orient your lives around Jesus Christ, and that is all. To come and take this seriously and to realize the power that is in these elements before us. On the trays, there are both gluten-full pieces of bread and then gluten-free wafers. So if you have that allergy, we want to make sure you're aware of that. And we just want to pray over this before you come up after the song and after we take the elements we'll then dismiss you back to your seats and we'll take the bread and the cup together so hold them as you wait for us to finish this song before we do that let's pray father i thank you for this opportunity we have to take simple elements and to see the payment that these elements give to our lives that we are not indebted to a list of sins that is forever long. No, we are set free by the payment you give and it is a gift of eternal life that we should share with everyone around us. Let us remember this payment by the act we're about to do. 
by seeing these not just as merely trivial signs or just a piece of bread or some sort of drink. Lord, instead, let us see what these truly are, that by the power of your Holy Spirit working in and through us, you come inside of us and cleanse us from the inside out. Friends, let us come to this altar with blessed elements, with the sacredness of this sacrament that can instill in us a change in the trajectory of our eternity. And Lord, I pray this over all who would take it, both here and virtually and across this world, both today and forevermore. We ask your blessing. Amen. Come. Come to Christ's altar.